So Lucy essentially spoke the first half of my sermon, so you guys get a little refresher. Um, So we're talking about faith. And faith is a word we use a lot in the Christian faith. We have faith. We, um, We say we have faith in God's promises. When someone in our lives maybe lets us down, we say we misplaced our faith. When someone falls away from Christianity, the words they often use are, I lost my faith. Like it's something tangible. In my mind, it sounds like if they lost it, it must have just been like a little decorative piece on their mantle. Like they liked looking at, they cherished, but they lost it. Like it's something that you can lose. So in Ephesians, which we kind of just saw on the, in the little video, the verse on faith, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So in every situation, we take up this shield of faith. And the, the shield that Paul was talking about is kind of similar to what Lucy said about these modern-day police shields. This was a massive, massive shield that the Roman soldiers carried around. It was often about three and a half feet tall. I don't know how tall things are. I'm going to say it's like this tall. And about three feet wide. So it was like this big square. And it weighed often up to about 10 kilograms. So it was, it was a heavy, heavy thing that you had to pick up and lug around and hold in front of you to protect yourself. It wasn't a little, what we imagine on Knights of Armor, this little pretty but not super useful shield. It was big and it was hefty and it was one of the most important pieces of your armor because it could protect you. If you if all else fails, if you were crippled and like hurt, you could just <laughs> that's what I would be doing behind the shield, just crouching down so it covered all of me. And the other things about this shield, it was curved, which this is like physics. So when the arrows would come at the uh, soldier, they would be deflected in a different direction and the soldier wouldn't take the full force of the attack. It would be deflected. And it was a weapon as well. It had a thing called a boss on it uh, in the middle and you could just whack people with it. So this is, this is a hefty shield. It was heavy. It was important and it was your protection on the battlefield. And this faith, when we think about that in the language we use, how I said before, it's like this little thing. We have faith. In the Catholic Church, they pray to receive their faith from the church like a gift. And when we think about it as this thing that's nice to look at, we have it and it's ours forever, we lose kind of the impact of the fact that this is our protection against the enemy It is such an important piece of armor. So we're going to talk about what faith is and how we can use it in our lives. And to do that, we're going to, surprise, surprise, go to Hebrews 11, which is the most famous passage on faith in the Bible. And Lucy already read her translation. I'm going to read my translation, just the first couple verses. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So in Lucy's translation, it was assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence. This translation says it's the reality 
of what is hoped for. Faith is something tangible and real, yet it's, it isn't at the same time. We can't see the promises of God tangibly. They're not, they're not collectible items. They are intangible. Just like a lot of things in our society aren't actually there. I, we, I was reading a book recently about how companies, we think of companies as these tangible things, but what is a company? It's an agreement between a bunch of people to say, I will do this thing and we will call it this company and it will be what we do for our livelihoods. It's not a building. It is often just an agreement that you can't see, you can't touch. For us in Christianity, the unseen, which is what they talk about, it's the thing, the proof of what is not seen. What isn't seen is almost everything in this Bible. Every, so it, on, in verse th- 3, it says, By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. That was the first thing in the Bible that happened. And every single thing that's in here, we can believe it, but we need to have faith that it is true. And what God says is true. That's a lot of faith, just for this alone, just to say all of this, I believe in this, and I believe it is reality. That the universe was created, that Jesus is the sign of God, that Jesus came and died and rose again, every, and that he will come again. All of these things are promises that we have to have faith in. And when you think about it like that, you have this ocean of things that you have no proof for, but you believe in them. And why? Why do we as Christians believe and have faith in these things? I won't accept answers from the crowd, but... It's because we have experienced the reality of these promises in our lives. We have experienced the love. We have experienced the salvation and the hope and the promise of the life to come. Faith isn't this one-time experience. It isn't this one gift we are given when we accept Jesus into our hearts and we put it on the mantle and we get to admire it for the rest of our lives. Although we could do that not take action and just say, hey, what a nice faith I have in Jesus who saved me. But as we read, continue reading in Hebrews 11, we see these examples of faith. And they are not static examples. They're not one-time examples of faith. They are throughout lives making decision after decision after decision based on the promises of God. Specifically, I want to talk about Abraham, because he is, you know, I read a book once that called him the knight of faith, K-N-I-G-H-T, like a soldier. And there's a reason that we believe that he is this knight of faith, that he made decision after decision after decision based on the promises of God, with the full assurance and hope in the reality of those promises, I'm going to go to the very beginning of Abraham's call, which is Genesis 12. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram in this time, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
And verse 4 says, so Abram went. He, Abraham took this belief, unwavering belief, that what God said in his little speech to Abraham, Abraham would be true. That when he said, I will show you the land you're going to, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. He took those and believed them to the point where he was moved to action. That he went. I can't imagine the conversation between Abraham and Sarah when he was like, oh, so we're going we're gonna to go. And I, That's what I like to picture. All of the things that happened between Abraham and Sarah, I'm like, wow, what was that conversation like? But he was obedient in everything, and he believed God. And as Lucy said, the most poignant example of this faith was when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his promised son, the son with which he said he would make him into a great nation, this promised son that came at the end, what they felt was the end of their lives, where they had nothing else to give. This beautiful son that was miraculously conceived and born, and God was like, now you will go sacrifice him. And in Hebrews 11, it talks about that. This is verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. The most important verse, verse 19 He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back. In this book, I read about Abraham being called the knight of faith. It talks, it goes through these scenarios. There's four different ones. I don't remember all of them. But what Abraham's attitude must have been when he was walking up that mountain with his son. And it's essentially... If you imagine his state of mind in these different ways, only one of them works as a faithful offering. If he was like crazed and like his eyes were really big and he was like scratching himself and he's like, I'm going to go offer up my son, that doesn't land the way that him walking faithfully up the mountain knowing at the top that God would fulfill his promises. He knew that God would come through for him because he believed in his promises. He had faith in his promises. Even though the circumstances surrounding him looked nothing like what he thought those promises should look like at all. When we are faced with something in our lives, which as far as I know, God isn't asking us to sacrifice our children anymore that he promises to us. But when we're faced with something that looks completely different from what we think God's promises should look like in our lives... What does our faith look like? What does it do? God has all of these promises for us all throughout this Bible. I'm convinced that in every, every story, every word, you can either find something about God and who God is and believe that to be true, have faith in who he is. It tells us about something he's done and having faith that he can do it again, that he has done it and he will continue to do his work, or it's telling us something about who we are in him, which we need to have faith to believe as well. These promises that God will never forsake us, that Jesus has victory over sin and death, 
that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God is faithful and that he will finish his work in us, that we are given a light burden, that we have the mind of Christ. All of these things, the, the scripture is just promise after promise about who we are and what we can believe God to do. But do we see the reality of those promises in our lives from day to day? If you're not paying attention, you're not going to notice, or you might forget. Like for me, if I sit down, I have my Bible study in the morning, I'm feeling really good, and then halfway through my work day, I'm like, God, where's my light burden? I'm not seeing it. I don't feel it. I don't feel the peace that transcends understanding on my mind. I don't feel it. Where is it? And it's because I'm not paying attention. I'm letting these flaming arrows that look a lot like my own thoughts get in to my soul. They get past my armor. They get past this faith that I'm supposed to have. These thoughts of inadequacy, like, oh, you're not actually good enough to be doing what you're doing. The temptations, like, oh, I can just do that later. I, I don't want to help the poor today. I don't know. I don't know what temptations are for you guys. But all of these things that kind of weave our way, weave their way into what seems like a very normal thing for us. Our thoughts can be the flaming arrows of the devil. They can and they often are. So when we don't see the reality of these promises in our lives, we can't just say, well, God, where is it? Like, what are you doing? Why can't I feel these, these promises in my life? Why don't I see them? And it's because to have faith, to see these promises in our lives, we have to take up this shield of faith, this heavy, heavy thing, lug it out onto the battlefield every day, every moment, and stand in battle with Jesus against these flaming arrows. Every day we have to be very intentional in our action, in our faith. Because if our mind wanders, if we forget that, oh, this thought is not, doesn't align with the promises of Jesus, and we don't realize it at the time that they can weigh us down, and we won't see the fruit of the promises that Jesus has promised us. I think in a lot of ways we expect our faith um, to be a lot like a self-driving car, the Tesla these days. My husband wants one so desperately to have this self-driving car where you can get in, you're like, okay, I'm going to sit in the driver's seat, plug in my destination, and hit go. And it's just going to take me there. And we don't have to think about the pedestrians, we don't have to think about the stop signs, we don't have to think about the speed limit, we just get to go along for the ride. Is that how we treat our faith sometimes? Like, oh, I've accepted Jesus, he's on a mission to take this world back his kingdom is here, and I'm just along for the ride. I'm just letting him take me where I want to, like where I think, where, no, where he thinks I should go. Yeah, I'm just going to wait and see what he does. Waiting to see what he does. No. Jesus wants us to take action on the promises that we believe. If we believe them, then we take action on them. If we sense a thought that is contrary to what Jesus says, then we have to take the initiative to say, no, Jesus says that's not true. I banish that thought. When Paul says we have to take every thought captive, he's not joking. It's a very active, and it, honestly, it sounds extremely exhausting. Every single thing that goes on around us, you're like, well, is that, 
does that line up with my faith? Is that something that is going to come into my life and weigh me down? We have to be ready. Are you ready? Like we talked about with the boots last week. These arrows are sneaky, and they're different from all of us. I talked a lot about our thoughts, because mine right now are thoughts of inadequacy. Those are the arrows that are just pointing right at me. And over and over again, Second Corinthians 3 says, your adequacy comes from God, not from yourself. I just, that's been my on repeat. Maybe yours, your flaming arrows are temptations, temptations to fall back into this life of sin that we all came from. And to that, I would say 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus has victory over sin. And that shield of faith, you say, all right, I sense this temptation coming, and my faith, it's not me, because I know I'm not strong enough to do this, but Jesus says that he has victory over what this is. Therefore, I do, and I deflect, I deflect. Get away from me. Maybe the flaming arrows for you are trials or tragedy or just something that is out of your control that you, what can you do? And those are hard to battle because you feel like, well, if they're not in your control, then what can I do? But over and over again, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that God is growing you through these trials and through these tragedies so that you might be mature and complete. And you can say, this arrow is not going to take me down, even though it's hard. And I might be crumpled up behind this shield. And I can't move and I can't breathe. I can't, I can't do it. But this shield is there protecting you. But we have to take an active role. We have to wake up and grab hold of these promises that Jesus says are true and not let go until we see them come to fruition, whether that's now, whether that's next week, whether it's in 10 years, or whether it is when Jesus comes back. We might not ever see the promises, but the important thing is that we don't let go of the promises. That's what I kind of not hate. But uh, I'm sure many of you heard this week in the news about the Hillsong worship leader that stepped away from his faith, that lost his faith. That grinds my gears as a strong believer in worship and worship leaders and wrestling with God. Because for me, losing your faith isn't, you, you don't just lose it, you give up on it. Because what he said, he was like, oh, well, I just don't, I don't see how God can send people he loves to hell. Which, that's a real question that all of us, I'm sure, have had at some point. And the point isn't that those answers are easy. They've been wrestling with God over these questions for centuries. They're not new. But what's important in this case, we can't just say, oh, well, I don't understand it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. Because it's too hard to go up to battle with something I don't understand. Or... more precisely in their case, where I don't feel like this shield makes sense. So I'm not going to use it. I'm going to ditch it and go without. When we find these hard questions, when we come to these speed bumps in our faith where we're like, I don't get it, which happens. If, If you think you get everything in the Bible, then I would encourage you to read it again. Because it can be confusing. It can be hard to read in some cases. It can there's always something more to learn. But the point is that we don't give up on a promise that we're given just because it feels hard. 
just because we don't understand, just because the answer isn't super clear that we hold on. That's what I'm going through the book of Job again, which if you know me, you know I love the book of Job. And one of the reasons is stuff happens to Job and he complains to God for 38 chapters in the Bible. He complains. He complains to his friends. He complains to God. He's like, God, what's going on? Why aren't you here? But he never gives up on God. He never's like, well, God's probably just not real. This is all a sham. No, he persists and persists and persists and persists all throughout, even though his friends are like, yo, please shut up. But he keeps going. He's like, I know that I have a God who is just and right and good, and I want him to show up here now. And he does. God will show up when you want to wrestle with him. Like Jacob, when he wrestles with God all night, he's like, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. You've just got to keep holding on to those promises, to those things that he says are true. The worship team can make their way back up onto the stage. I will see if I can wrap up. In 1 Thessalonians 5, I was, again, it's just part of my reading plan right now. I read it, and it brings up the armor of God again. I thought there was only one passage in Ephesians, but there's more. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Let us stay awake. Let us be self-controlled and put on the armor. And the, it, he, also, he talks about a shield of faith. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. God promises us, even if we don't do this hard work of standing up and fighting the battle that we have salvation you can sit and look at your faith on the mantelpiece and you will be saved because that's the grace of jesus christ but if you want to see transformation in your life and in your heart then you have to pick up your shield and go into battle with jesus every day how much better is it for us to be awake and transformed by the love of jesus by going and being a part of of what he's doing in your life. So if there's a promise of God that you aren't seeing in your life, I don't know what it might be. If you're not seeing it or sensing it, or if there's something in the Bible that you see a promise and you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand how that can be true for me. And I would encourage you to find the part in the Bible that talks about it, if you don't know what it is, then talk to a pastor. Talk to your friends who know the Bible. There's going to be something that speaks directly to the issue you're having or the promise that you don't see. And I would encourage you to wrestle with God with it. To hold on to it. Even if that means that you hold on and you don't see it for years to come. But I would encourage you to just grab hold of God's promises. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit that it teaches us who you are, who we are, and what you've done, and looking forward to what you're going to do in each of our lives in the future, God. We thank you that you have given us faith, and we ask you to increase it in each and every one of us. God, that we can stand firm in your promises. That we...
can be assured in the reality of your promises, God. And we ask you for your protection and your loving kindness to wrap us up and surround us as we walk into this battle, whether we are aware of it or not. And Father God, we thank you that you that you surround us and protect us, that we don't have to rely on our own ability to fight off these attacks, but that you do and you will and you are. We praise you this morning, Father God. In your precious and holy name, amen.